Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. And I'm Joe McCormick. And we are here to do one of our, I guess, quarterly now listener mail episodes. Well, we receive a lot of feedback from uh, from listeners. We get it on, uh, we get it via email, we get it through social media, and uh, we don't have time on the episodes themselves, really, to get into the listener mail as much, uh, and we get so much good content. We decided to devote the, the occasional episode to it. Yeah, and we really do get so much great correspondence from from all you guys out there that we don't have time to read it all. So if you sent us something and and you you poured your heart out to us and we don't have time to read it today, please don't take that as a slight against you. We just get so much I great think it, stuff that we, we, there's no way for us to read it all. It would be a whole other podcast, not to like toot our own horn, but... I actually probably have like a moment, maybe you guys have this too, like every day where I open up the listener mail folder and feel a little guilty because I'm like, oh, I still haven't even like had a chance to go back and read like the last six of these just because mm-hmm. we're, we're so slammed. Yeah, indeed. I often just be in the, the heat of getting uh, stuff together for a podcast episode yeah. or some other kind of commitment around here. And I just have to make a mental bookmark to come back to this uh, individual and their uh, their comment. And then we've got that whole other folder of stalker mail, which, yeah. you know, yeah. Those you've I read got, over You've got to spend again. time on that. <laughs> yeah, that oh, is, definitely. That is a thick folder and waterproof by necessity. <laughs> All right, well, let's call the robot over here um, and let's see what uh, what Carney has for us. All right, it looks like the first thing Carney has for us here is from our listener Noel regarding the Chinese Zodiac episode that Robert and I did. And we got a lot of great feedback on the Chinese Zodiac. This is just one of them. So Noel writes, hi, guys. I know why so many dragon children were born in 1988. Eight is a good luck number, and since the year was 88, it was like a double good year. Make it a triple good year for having a baby dragon. Chinese culture has impacted Filipino culture with the melting pot of Asians in the Philippines. Even though my parents are Filipino, relatives urged them to get married in 1988 instead of when they actually got married in 1987. Huh. But I guess seven was a lucky enough number for them, and 1988 was booked for marriages. <laughs> I guess booked. Yeah. No more marriages this year. Yeah, they probably, like, every every uh, uh, justice of the peace slash priest, I guess, was unavailable. Well, that makes sense. That, goes, that ties into some of the issues we were talking about with having these boom years for births, because that means... More hospital beds are going to be filled for that birth year, and then that uh, child, as they grow older, like their 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 year in school is always just going to be extra packed mm-hmm. when with, they uh, all enter the workforce. Yeah, more competitors. Yeah. yeah, this reminds me of a thing we were talking about in the office recently about the Zika virus and how because so many people are being told that you know they shouldn't be having kids because of the Zika virus that there's going to be like a big jump in population gap. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, like say eighteen, twenty years from now. Yeah. Huh. Well, anyway, Noel continues, my parents also didn't choose to go for a dragon baby after they married. I was born in 1991 as a gold metal element goat, gold goat. That's beautiful. That's like a that's a thing that would be condemned in the Bible or something. I don't I don't know what my metal is. I just know my my animal. You mean your element? Sorry. You could be like wood, earth, metal. But gold is is. Why is it gold? Well, it gets I very, I it gets very complicated. Oh, and we, and <laughs> it's important to, to 
to reiterate that, that we didn't go into all the depth about the inner workings mm-hmm. oh, okay. of the, the Chinese Zodiac in that episode. But we did hear uh, back in great depth from a lot of our listeners on this subject. Yes. A- anyway, Noel continues about the gold goat. She says, they are supposed to be ambitious and kind-hearted with a strong sense of responsibility in work, but sometimes too stubborn. Compared to the other goat elements, they seem more like a dragon, or maybe that's just me hoping to be like a dragon. I do not believe in astrology, but it's nice to have a mascot to cheer for your positive traits. Sincerely, Noel. Uh, and I, I, I like the sentiment of the end here because this is something we talked about in the episode. Mm-hmm. I, it's my theory that you don't have to believe in astrology to be affected by it. Like you don't have yeah. to believe it taps into a true magical power, uh, or, or has real predictive power over personalities for it to have some kind of significance to you because we just, we're always reaching out for meaning and significance in our life and any kind of framework people come up with, even if there's no real magic to it, it, it's kind of easy to, to feel like there's something to it. Yeah. Plus, I mean, there have been studies and we've, uh, we've talked about it on the show and I think some much older episodes about how the research has, has proven that just symbols in the world around us uh, affect us subconsciously. Mm-hmm. So if uh, you know if, if, if the symbol for Coca Cola can do that to us, then yeah. certainly something is is culturally ingrained as, as a gold a, goat. As a gold goat. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly that can work its mad magic on us as well. Especially if it's something that you're told from a very young age. Yeah, you are this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, our listener, Elizabeth, who did grow up in a Chinese household, also got in touch with us about the Chinese Zodiac episode. Yes, uh, she did. And, and really, she wrote a tremendous amount uh, to us, really fleshed out her thoughts on it, um, and shared some just extensive great thoughts on the Zodiac episode, including some areas that we just didn't have time to explore as much. Uh, mm-hmm. The cultural and mythological significance of the of the the, uh, the Chinese dragon, the intricacies of the Chinese zodiacal system, and extended thoughts on the shape of the traditional family. So we can't read it all here. Again, thanks, Elizabeth, for sharing it with us. Uh, but uh, we did want to hit just a few key points that I think... Uh, contribute to uh, to the episode. Yeah, one of them is that Elizabeth grew up reading books on the Chinese horoscopes by somebody named Theodora Lau, and she recommends Lau's books if you're interested in in an introduction to the Chinese Zodiac. Uh, but also, she, she's got great stories about how she also says she doesn't really ascribe to the Chinese Zodiac, like she doesn't believe it has true magic power. But she sort of lives her life according to it anyway, hmm. almost as if like there's there's valence available there. Yeah, I get that. Like it's like uh, I, I dabbled in feng shui for like a year in mm. our apartment, like went and got a book and everything and was like, no, Kelly, the table has to go here. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh-huh. But, you know, I didn't actually believe in any kind of like uh, symbolic magic mm. or anything like that going on. It was just sort of a system to help you organize life. Yeah, yeah. I, I shouldn't have overstated. I didn't mean to say that she. She lives her life according to it, but she makes yeah. some decisions according sure, to it, yeah. like like how she arranges the furniture in her house, she mentioned. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but she also had some really interesting just individual points we wanted to highlight. Again, her email was too long to read all of it, but uh, one of them was about the dragon. In the episode, we mentioned that the dragon is the only animal in the Chinese Zodiac that's purely mythical. It has no real world equivalent. But according to Elizabeth, that's not exactly the case. Yeah, she says, quote, it's uh, also not entirely true that the dragon has no real world equivalent. The dragon's real world animal is a seahorse because seahorses were believed to be baby dragons because, you know, they look like dragons and they live in the water. Huh. I've That's never heard that before. Yeah, I would have assumed that it was like a Komodo dragon. 
Like th- that seems like what would be the real world equivalent, but it probably the. I, I have no idea mm-hmm. what the actual natural habitat of a Komodo is. Well, I, I can see where this would this would make sense because we discussed a little bit about how the celestial dragon is kind of a composite of all these other animals. Like mm-hmm. there's a little horse in there. There's a little uh, potentially a little what a uh, clam in there as well. So it's yeah. a chimera. Yeah, very much yes. so. So I can imagine the seahorse making sense because you look at a seahorse and a seahorse is really weird and itself looks kind of like a conglomerate. You know, the thing I'd say about the Komodo dragon is I I think that may sort of conflate the ideas of the Western dragon with the Eastern dragon. I I think the Eastern dragon or the Chinese dragon is less like a lizard than the Mm -hmm. dragon we get from, from maybe Middle Eastern or European folklore. Yeah. Yeah. That's true as well. You're right. Having uh, grown up in Singapore, which is something we're going to talk about with another listener mail. That's definitely true. So uh, Elizabeth also shares, quote, for me, my chart is boar year, snake hour, monkey month, and I think day of the sheep. But like I said, that doesn't matter for names. But I'm also born in the U.S., which was founded in 1776, the year of the fire monkey, Mm. which we're in again. Mm. Uh, So the result of my chart was that I had a crap ton of fire and water. So (laughs) I I just wanted to share this bit just because uh, I think it gives you an idea of what sort of deeper read of one zodiac would be. Yeah, uh, this is preceding this elizabeth goes into a lot of detail about how it's not just the year uh, but as we mentioned mm-hmm. in the episode it's other elements of time that affect the things that are supposed to be true about you according to the you know your horoscope uh, so it would be hour of the day you're born day day of the week i think that you're born and mm-hmm. and so forth hey so i've got a question about that episode uh, maybe now's a good time because i, I don't I, i'm assuming you didn't cover it in in the episode itself the photo that you guys used for one of the thumbnails on that of that like giant sculpture of like a robot fire monkey. Oh, what's that all about? Okay, so that uh, was a that, that was a photograph of a sculpture, yeah. and that was actually on the now uh, How Stuff Works Now article oh, that I did that tied in with that it. Tied in, okay, yeah, uh, talking about uh, how they uh, how some uh, experts think that the uh, year of the fire monkey which we're in now, yeah. uh, will impact uh, the birth rate. Oh, okay. And uh, that's just a really cool Transformer-esque yeah. statue of the fire monkey. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was really uh, impressed by the whole thing. So yeah. I, I was curious if they had, like, some, I don't know, like lo- other than, like, making a cool giant Transformer monkey, if there was some symbolism to I it. I did not read an artist's uh, statement on it, but, uh, but yeah, you can really go nuts just looking at all the crazy cool um, artistic interpretations of the of the Zodiac animals. Yeah, there were a lot of great sculptures I'd never seen before, but only uh, saw because you turned them up for for that episode. I, I do think this is also really cool that Elizabeth points out about 1776 being the year of the fire monkey. Yeah. Uh, now, she she tells us again that uh, she grew up in a Chinese household, but in the United States. So she's a resident in the U.S. And this is another thing we talked about in the episode is sort of the, the cross-cultural uh, impact of the Chinese zodiac. For example, we found... That though this probably was not impacted by people choosing this on purpose, the Forbes list of richest Americans also is uh, over represents dragons. Oh, the, the, which yeah. is kind of strange because you wouldn't expect the Chinese zodiac to have any influence on American birth rates. Maybe right. it's just a coincidence. Who knows? Yeah, it could be. And I'm going to read one more quote from her. And this, uh, I think, just expands nicely on some of the uh, issues that we touched on in trying to, you know, uh, uh, to, to, in, in discussing uh, why the dragon year birth rate uh, spike is a modern phenomenon. Okay. She says, being able to choose when you have kids is a luxury. Uh, 
It's a luxury of those who can afford it and are able. In modern times and with more modern medical care, there is more access to health resources and such that give you an ability to care and make sure your offspring live aside from things uh, like uh, the one-child policy or the cultural revolution getting in the way. So there's just uh, now, in general, more ability to choose, whereas before you flat-out needed kids to live. China was also very Confucian. So in that belief system, there is a responsibility to carry on the family name and line, so you tried to have as as many kids as possible so that one of them would survive until adulthood to take care of you in old age. And also, since a lot of it's rural, you had more help to work the field. Surviving is a bit more important than uh, giving a damn when your kids are born or even sometimes what gender they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks, Elizabeth. This whole email was really great. Again, I regret that we couldn't read the whole thing, but uh, but it was really awesome. So thanks for getting in touch. OK, so this next one that's coming out of uh, old Carney over here. Uh, it looks like it's directed to you guys about an episode you did, but I actually pulled it because it, it connected with me personally, and I, I wrote this guy back. His name's Gary. Gary says, Gentlemen, long-time listener, first-time emailer. We're a Canadian family that moved to Singapore a couple of years ago. I recently listened to your podcast on moral ethical decisions and heard you mention the Tai Pusan Festival. Now, we should quickly say what the context yeah. of that was in the episode. Yes, this was the the New Year's episode, and the particular study, which I think has actually come up in a couple of different uh, podcast episodes um, now over the years, uh, had to do with just how participating or even witnessing ritual pain uh, can uh, can have an impact on your um, on, on how much money you give to the poor on how uh, on how kindly you treat your fellow humans yeah so if you want to be a better person do some ritual pain yeah go for it <laughs> so this is what the festival is about I'm assuming it has a connection to that it has a, yes it's I think that's one element. One element of it, yes. Okay. Well, Gary says that festival is celebrated here in Singapore, and we attended last year, 2015. Uh, it was definitely something that blew our minds. My kids, they're 18, he has an 18 year old daughter and a 14 year old son, refused to attend this year. They were so freaked out by it. Additionally, and interestingly, they also felt that as observers, we were somehow intruding on a sacred pilgrimage, and it didn't feel right for them to gawk. Perhaps a generational gap, but the view of my wife and I is that as they close down the streets and advertise it, so they obviously want people to come out and attend and watch it, buy drinks and food, etc., so why not? And he includes a link to the festival. He says, I can't speak for elsewhere, but here they parade several kilometers from one temple to another. This year they allowed live music here for the first time in over 40 years. And the participants increased 40%. Not sure on the overall attendance. But it's interesting the number of people trying to get absolved of sins rose by having live music. For your information, live music was banned by Singapore 42 years ago after the bands became competitive and started to fist fight each other. Singapore has a long memory. Wow. Below are some photos I took of the two of the 2015 festival I thought you might find interesting. If you are interested in posting them on your site, you have my permission. Thanks for shedding some light on the moral decisions of the participants. And that's from Gary. So I, I wanted to read that one when it came in because uh, I grew up in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I spent uh, most of my high school years there. And uh, it was just fascinating to me kind of, to kind of like it's been over 20 years since I've been back to Singapore. But to read the experience of another expatriate over there right now, kind of going through the same culture shock, shock situation. I told Gary that I sympathized with his children. <laughs> I, it was kind of the same way. I felt like it was uh, uh, like rude in some some circumstances to watch certain festivals that I would, didn't quite understand, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, the live music thing, I don't know. 
that may be true on the legal books, but when I was there, which was not 42 years ago, I went to a lot of live music. In fact, that's when I first got involved with the punk scene. Well, maybe he just means uh, live music associated with the festival. Yeah, you know? maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, so, like, a uh, quick short story. Uh, when I lived there... Rollins band came and played there uh-huh. and uh <laughs> did they play the festival uh no no uh but uh, apparently there was some moshing at the Rollins band show and some chairs got broken in, oh. the, in the uh the venue mm-hmm. and uh right after that moshing was was banned or at least that's what we were told so mm-hmm. uh then maybe like 2 or 3 months later Fugazi played in Singapore and I went to that show and the wall of the show was lined with armed guards. They were all oh, wow. carrying rifles. Uh, and they were supposed to be there to make sure that people didn't slam dance. Um, so it is a little strange. I definitely remember some of the odd governmental restrictions there while, from, from living there. And I also lived there when the whole Mike Faye thing happened as well, too. So there was a lot of that. This was the caning incident? It yes. was, yeah. I went to school with Mike Faye. Oh. Um so, but why don't you guys respond since it was the episode that you guys recorded? I guess my main response is, I mean, having never actually witnessed the procession, only having uh, seen some, you know, really cool photos from it and, and read about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, basically I can just a- apply my own experience encountering other cultures and, you know, especially like temples and the like. Mm-hmm. You know, it does put you in that weird space where you, you certainly don't want to be a gawker. You don't want to be a, an ugly American in these, uh, these situations. You want to, but you want to experience it. You want to see these things. And at the same time, you, you know that you're an outsider and you can't possibly, uh, experience and, uh, and, and understand it in the, in the same way. So it is an odd place to find yourself. Yeah. I, um, so I should say Gary included a bunch of photos with this email of mm-hmm. their experience at the festival. And it, yeah, we may want to share some of them. Yeah. I yeah. We could throw them on a post for sure. Yeah, yeah. Cause they were, they were stunning, like the hooks embedded in these guys' backs that were in the parade and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I never saw anything like that when I lived there, but it might, I told Gary this, it might just have been because my parents probably, you know, didn't want me to go down to something like that by myself for the same obvious reasons of kind of being a cultural, uh, gawker. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's important to keep in mind too about rituals of pain is that we they exist around the world in in various cultures, various religions. You find them in in Christianity, you find them in Islam, you find them in Hinduism, etc. Uh, so um, I, I actually did a gallery list on stufftoblowyourmind.com a while back, um, compiling some of these. So I'll make sure that we link to that as well on the landing page for this episode. Cool. Yeah, that sounds fun. All right. Uh, listener David writes in. David says, so just a note about solar sails from your space mirrors episode. You couldn't use a laser to push a solar sail. That would violate Newton's third law of motion and would be the same concept as saying you could pull yourself to the ceiling by tugging on your belt loops or blowing a sail with a fan. So anything the laser mounted on the ship shot out would get the same force back that would result in zero motion. Yeah, and you responded to this, right? So I don't think the idea was that the laser was mounted on the ship. Right. Yeah. So the the idea here is the laser yeah, would not be mounted on the ship, but rather would be mounted somewhere else, providing a new yeah. wind, a new solar wind, a laser wind for that vessel to sail on. Um, and if anyone wants some more information about this concept, I actually did an article on the subject years ago uh, after interviewing Dr. Gregory L. Matlov. Uh, you can find this at discovery.com. The title of the article is Are Solar Sails the Future of Space Travel? Uh, Matlov is... Um, 
an expert in the field and just a, it was a, just a really nice guy to talk to on the topic. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I uh, exchanged a few different emails uh, with David about this uh, and and. I just wanted to make sure that anyone else listening uh, didn't get that idea. Like maybe we didn't state it yeah. or I didn't state it as well as I, I could have. Uh, also, David is a long haul trucker and listens to our show on the road. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So we definitely want to give a shout out to David and any other truckers out there listening to us right now. Uh, we've heard from a few of you uh, over the years, and we're always glad to hear that we're able to help make those lengthy jaunts a yeah. little easier. My brother-in-law is a trucker. I, oh, yeah. I, I wonder if he listens to the show. Cool. Oh, Carney is handing me another email here, and it seems to be a covered in a blue luminescence. You know what that means? Oh, it's time for another Will of the Wisp story. Oh, okay. now way back last October, we did an episode about Will of the Wisp and about how it has a. It, it seems to have partially disappeared from the world. Yeah. People don't seem to be reporting Will of the Wisp phenomenon as often as they used to. But we asked our listeners, have you seen a Will of the Wisp? Let us know, and maybe maybe we can help collect enough stories that will give us more information about what it really is. We've heard from at least two or three people on this. Yeah, we've heard yeah. several people's mm-hmm. Will of the yeah. Wisp stories, and here's one more from our listener, Glenn. So Glenn says, I just listened to your Will of the Wisp podcast, and I wanted to share an experience I recently had with you. It's mid-October 2015, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm on a date with a girl I was seeing for the first time. I decide to take her to this spot just southeast of Milwaukee in St. Francis. There's a condominium apartment along the lake shore that has a footpath running along the backside of the condos following the lake shore. At the northernmost end of the path, there's a man-made pond that's on a hill, which is surrounded by breakwater that's been rocked off and diverted. So out to in, it goes lake, rocks, lake water, then the hill, and then the pond. So it's fairly marshy as far as man-made landscapes go. At the edge of the pond, there's some benches that look over the entire cityscape. Great view, so I take her there, and as we're relaxing taking in the sight, we can see a blue pulsating light down the hill hovering just along the waterline of the lake. It's a fairly intense light, almost comparable to a small flashing blue LED. At first glance, I thought it may have been a person's cell phone, but this theory was quickly disproved when the light began to rise up maybe five or six feet off the ground and started to float its way up the hill toward us. It was very small, a little bigger than, say, your standard issue firefly, which I love the idea of a standard issue firefly. (laughs) Check out of the armory. (laughs) Anyway, Glenn goes on. But the light was much more dense and moved in a much different way than fireflies do, and it didn't share the yellow glow that a firefly has. It was very true blue. It gets to the top of the hill and then begins to float in an undulating motion on a straight course from the west toward the lake to the east, about two yards away at eye level before it gets out over the lake and out of vision. Uh, And then he says the person he was with got a little scared, so they decided to leave uh, and Glenn says, and as we're leaving, another one rises out of some brush off the side of the path. I've been searching for an explanation to this scene since that day, and after hearing your podcast, I'm fairly certain that I saw what these accounts claim to have also witnessed. I've returned to the location several times, but have never been lucky enough to see them again. Sorry for the lengthy email, not at all. I have a renewed excitement now, and it would seem that there has been some substance to what I saw that night. I will add that it did indeed rain a couple of days previous to my story, so maybe there is a correlation. Uh, thanks for getting in touch, Glenn. I love these Will of the Wisp stories, and I still have no idea what it is. 
And I love that it also gives us hope that whatever it is, it's still out there. It's still going on. We haven't squashed it by depleting our, our wetlands. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so wh- I think the final idea we arrived on in the episode is that one of the most likely explanations seem to be possible chemiluminescence, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, glowing chemical reactions from gases escaping from the ground under certain conditions. Though the way he's talking about the light being very concentrated, that doesn't seem to match exactly what he's saying here because he makes it sound like it's like a floating dot rather than kind of a, a blue cloud. Uh, it sounds like to me. What? Oregon. <laughs> blue, right? I mean, Reich said it was blue. Right. I think, I were think there we, particles of Oregon? Sure. I think there were. Sure there were. <laughs> I, I think you could probably find, if Reich were alive today, he would easily find a direct connection between Will of the Wisps and Oregon energy. You know, it, it, it wouldn't be unfounded. No. Because why not? <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for getting in touch, Glenn. That was really interesting. Hey, so it looks like we need to take a quick break, but we will be right back after hearing from the sponsor of this episode. Hey, everybody, you know, as well as we do, that it's all about your website these days. If you want to represent yourself professionally, personally, etc., you got to have a professional looking website out there uh, as your uh, Internet avatar. Oh, yeah. And it's got to look great on a phone or a tablet or a computer or a television screen. Yeah. But here's the thing. not everybody has the budget. Not everybody has the the coding expertise or yeah. the time and energy Who's got to time go out there that? and do that. Yeah, we got to record podcasts. How am I supposed to put our site together? Uh, you know, when I'm doing research on Osadax worms and uh, the giant planetary nebula. Well, there's an answer, and that answer is Squarespace. Squarespace provides you with easy-to-use tools, everything you need, perfect interface to create a professional-looking website. So it's professional. It looks good. Yeah, it does. It's like a designer came in and did that. Yeah. So, hey, if you don't have a website, if you have one you're not particularly happy with or you just want a fresh coat of paint, now is the time to get out there and get your Squarespace website done. And you know why it's especially good? Because you can start your free trial today. Day for Squarespace. If you use our offer code MindBlown, you get 10% off after the free trial. So head on over to Squarespace.com and make sure to use our promo code MindBlown for that special discount. And we're back. It looks like Carney has another message for us. Yeah, Kate writes in with the following. Quote, I recently started listening to your podcast and have really enjoyed it so far. I had a thought about your most recent episode, Tooth, Mind, and Soul. At the end of the podcast, you mentioned the study where they found a connection between more teeth and better memory, and you discussed several potential reasons for that correlation. I was surprised that no one mentioned the possible socioeconomic reasons for this finding. For example, is it possible that people who have had access to good dental hygiene may have lived in better conditions overall that would promote better mental ability and thus have a memory boost as well. Uh, you know, we, I feel like we may have touched on this a little bit because yeah. cause that is certainly a huge thing that we have to keep in mind anytime we're looking at at dental health issues and dental hygiene and especially any connection between overall health, mental health, uh, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, I would certainly guess that uh, good dental hygiene has something to do with good nutrition. Mm-hmm. Kate's 100% right. And I think that we had that in our notes and we may have spoken about it uh, like tangentially, but yeah. we never directly addressed the socioeconomic reasons yeah. for tooth modification. Yeah, this is certainly like the, the solar sale issue that we already touched on. Like This is an area where I, I think we we did justice to the idea, but 
in you know just in case. Yeah, it's good to just Fair hammer point. that home. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, here's another short one. This is from Joyce. This is in reference to our Chinese zodiac episode. So Joyce writes in says, uh, "Just finished your Chinese zodiac episode. Good show. Just something to add. The different zodiac signs have different compatibility. My family has a sheep mom." And a dragon, Dad. They got married in 1985 and waited on purpose to have me, 1987 Rabbit, because dragons and tigers, 1986, don't get along. (laughs) My parents are in no way firm believers, but it's so ingrained in the culture that they waited just in case. Yet again, we're hearing this theme. We've heard this from several people now, like we hypothesized in the episode. You, You don't really have to believe it to... To let it guide your actions somehow. Yeah, we all live in the uh, in the shadow of these various cultural constructs and, uh-huh. and symbols. So, just one quick note on that. I remember when uh, when I was first learning about the Chinese zodiac from the placemats, I found out that whatever I am, I think a tiger is not supposed to get along with whatever my dad was. <laughs> I remember re- I remember reading into that and thinking, hmm. Is, should I be having way. Should I be having more family strife than I do? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, it looks like the, this next one, it's like covered in, covered in blood. Uh, but I'll, I'll pull it out anyways. I, I mean, there's no DNA here that's really going to implicate us in anything, right? Uh, it says, hello, been listening to your show and stuff they don't want you to know and notice the psychopath trend among both. <laughs> I don't know if, 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 uh, this person's speaking to our, our personalities or the topics <laughs> we're covering, but yes, there, there is that trend between all of us. Uh, this is a fascinating subject and I think I can give you a very nice fact. If you read the psychopath inside me by James Fallon, which is a fascinating book where half of it is references to research papers and the rest is a good mix of views of a psychopath about psychopathy and the biology. But there is a small section about female psychopaths. If there is a singular psychopath gene, or if it is a cluster of them, most researchers lean toward the latter. But either way, they are centered in the X chromosome, meaning that women have two, while men have an X and a much shorter Y chromosome. If there is a defect in the X chromosome in women, the other chromosomes take over while men don't have this luxury. So for a woman to become a, quote, proper genetically flawed psychopath, Both chromosomes have to be broken. Of course, not everybody has the same predictable brain structure, so there might be other reasons, but this is a noticeable trend. As a side note, it would be fun if you did a podcast about the men without most of their brains that can live normally. Mm. And he he shares a link with us about that uh, and says, otherwise, good job, an interesting podcast. And his name is uh, Johnson, I believe. He's from Norway. I do want to throw in that uh, James Fallon, who he mentions here, uh, his work is indeed quite interesting. Uh, I got to see him at World Science Festival a few years back. Oh, yeah? And uh, he was actually doing a moth uh, talk about uh, oh. about how, in, in researching psychopaths, uh, he ended up uh, identifying the same traits within himself. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I think you yeah. mentioned this to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it has been like one of those uh, like moments of stuff to blow your mind serendipity that it like I don't think we purposely chose it that way, but psychopaths have been coming up as like a tangent about spe- specific topics we've been tackling, like MDMA. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what the conspiracy guys have been doing. Probably every topic. I think it's your influence, Christian. You keep bringing it back Me? to psychopaths. I don't know what you're talking I, about. I think, yeah, they factored hey, into their hollow earth. Yes, I am probably the most, the, the, the biggest psychopath. It definitely was my idea <laughs> for us to do an episode specifically about psychopathic children. 
but the MDMA thing was a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, it's just always an interesting topic, and it's one where our understanding of it continues to evolve. I know I've, I've covered it a number of times just on the on blog posts. Yeah. Uh, it's new studies. Uh, identify, you know, the inner workings of the, the psychopathic brain. I think it's one of those things that, like, uh, research seems to be, like, getting into a lot almost accidentally, right? People mm-hmm. aren't intentionally looking to go uh, discover what makes the psychopathic brain work. They're maybe studying other things, but it keeps popping up. And it's um, it's something that I think we're going to have a very different, like, definition and understanding of maybe 10, 15 years from now. Yeah, yeah that yeah. seems about right. Yeah. All right. What's this one? Uh, uh, this one comes to us from William. Uh, William writes, this is, hi guys, long time listener to stuff you should know. And I just moved over to stuff to blow your mind. Loving it. I have a little, but I think important correction within your, the Halloween costume costume made me do it episode. You take a moment to talk about racism, blackface and how costumes can bring slight, even inadvertent racist tendencies to the surface. Uh, my correction focuses on a digital underground's frontman shock G while while trying very hard to consider racial issues, you both refer multiple times to the MC Humpty Hump as if that was his name. While in keeping with the respectful tone of the episode, and just in case he is a listener, uh, maybe an acknowledgement that his real MC name at the time was Shock G, and I believe still is today, uh, and that the famous song was The Humpty Hump. Keep up the great work. Man, I hope Shock G is a listener. That would be awesome. <laughs> um Oh, yeah, I, he's, he's no Matthew Modine, but he's, <laughs> he, he's still pretty great. Yeah, he's great. Uh, oh, yeah, so two things. First of all, Humpty Hump is an alter ego of Shock G, yeah. and therefore I maintain that any reference to, sh- to Humpty Hump as an individual uh, is accurate. I believe within the narrative of that song. Right, right yeah. As a character. Yeah, I mean, Humpty Hump has his own origin story. Um uh, about how he lost his nose and has thus replaced it with the uh, with the signature, uh, you know, Groucho Marx uh, glasses and nose. However, I do I, I do agree that yes, uh, we should have mentioned Shock G uh, specifically yeah. as the man behind the nose. And I think William is right to to write in about something like this. Just e- even though we were, I guess, technically wrong. But uh, two white dudes sitting around talking about the issues of uh, race and gender that were being extrapolated out of Halloween costumes. There's always a potential for error. So I, I, I'm glad that he corrected us in this sense, because otherwise I think it would have just come off as kind of like white dude mansplaining. And uh, I'd also like to mention, I hope that Shock G, not Humpty Hump, got busy in a Burger King bathroom. <laughs> All right. Carney's handing us another message here. And if I can, oh, if I can. Take it from him. He's running, waving it around in circles. Ah, there it is. Okay. Oh, this is from our listener, Martin. And Martin is writing in with reference to one of the X-Files episodes that Christian and I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> this, yeah. The, and he's not the only one who wrote about this specific thing, right? I think we received a couple of tweets about this, too. Uh, yeah. And so in the X-Files episode, Christian and I were talking about Leonard Betts, the classic X-Files character who gets his head cut off, yeah. survives, and then regrows his head. Yeah, because he's made of cancer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh but but not before walking to the iodine store and saying, give me all your iodine. Well, the way he regresses his head is by climbing into a bathtub full of iodine. Anyway, Mar- our listener Martin writes in about this and says, hey, guys, I'm sure someone has already pointed this out. But a day or so before the X-Files uh, podcast, I watched an episode of Monumental Mysteries or Mysteries at the Monument, something like that which is a branch of the show Mysteries at the Museum. Anyway, one of the monuments they visited in the episode was of a chicken without a head in the center of a town. The chicken's name was Mike, Miracle Mike. 
<laughs> Bond, James I Bond. Love it. <laughs> the story is that a farmer gathered up a couple of chickens to kill for dinner. After cutting off Mike's head, he let him run around while tending to the next victim. After doing his thing with chicken number two, he noticed that Mike was still going about as if nothing happened, so he spared him and went about making dinner or whatever. The next day, Mike was still alive, so he began feeding him with an eyedropper and kind of just letting the headless chicken do what headless chickens do. Oddly, even without a head, he would scratch and peck at the ground, walk around, and could breathe and evidently function just fine. Most of this is because his brain stem was left mostly intact, but people were amazed by the headless little fella, and he went on tour living headless for 18 months. Wow. Unfortunately, one night at a hotel while on tour, Mike began to choke, which is evidently pretty common for a chicken without a head, and his owner couldn't locate his eyedropper in time to clear his airway, so he perished after 18 months of headless life. Huh. The second- How do you, how do you ch- <laughs> uh, choke? I don't know. I guess he has on. an esophagus still? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, you still have the neck and everything. Okay. So uh, we we did think about this. I actually, I think I thought about mentioning this in the episode, but didn't because... Yeah. You had notes about it, for sure. I yeah, uh, because the... So we were talking about animals that can get their heads cut off and survive. For example, cockroaches can yeah. survive without a head for a long time. Uh, but the, the thing with this chicken was that it's... It sort of wasn't really without a head in the relevant sense. It was without part of a head. Mm, right. So if the yeah. brainstem was left intact, that's a different kind of thing. This would be sort of like a person getting like the front of their head cut off or something. Yeah. yeah. Which would also be impressive. Yeah, yeah. it would. I mean, not that this is not interesting. I really yeah. appreciate uh, all of you who got in touch with us about Miracle Mike. I love that his name is Miracle Mike because it makes me think of Magic Mike. And yeah. therefore, yes. I can't help but imagine um, a, a dream scenario in which you have a movie about a headless male stripper. I what I'm I want to see Miracle is- Mike uh, XXL. <laughs> no, uh, what I'm imagining is that song Pony, you know, with Miracle Mike running around without a head, pecking at the ground. <laughs> Jump on it, my brainstem. Anyway, uh, but uh, Martin continues for uh, referencing another episode, saying, The second odd thing uh, was right before I listened to the Mirrors podcast, I think that's talking about the one you two did on Space Mirrors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though there, there's also an older Stuff to Blow Your Mind episode just on Mirrors. Oh, well, I wonder. It could be either one. Either one, maybe. yeah. Uh, well, he talks about a sun gun. I think it was the Space yeah, Mirrors. So, yeah, okay. so Martin says, I watched the new episode of Scorpion, and go figure, they were chasing down some warlord who had acquired panels the Germans had planned to use on the sun gun. I won't go through the whole timeline of the episode, but both are really great shows and definitely worth watching. Anyway, I just thought there were some weird synchronicities worth sharing. Keep the awesome podcast coming. Thanks so much, Mike. I've never even heard. Uh, Not Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Miracle Mike. Yeah, thanks so much, Martin. (laughs) Miracle Martin. I've never heard of Scorpion before. It sounds I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it either. I thought he was talking about the 1980s glam band. (laughs) Yeah. That would be the scorpions. Oh, is that right? I, I believe they were just so. they scorpions, were just scorpion. plural. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting period of time in the history of music. Speaking of music, uh, Ansley writes in with the following: Robert, 
I am late to the podcasting scene and have been trying to work my way through the backlog of episodes. Almost every other episode, I find myself thinking, has Robert played Silent Hill? How has he not played Silent Hill? Is he ever going to mention Silent Hill? Do you ever mention Silent Hill? Did I just not make it far enough in yet? <laughs> I was certain you'd say something on the Uncanny Music episode, uh, etc. If by some strange turn of fate, a man who loves monsters, grotesque, and poignant imagery, and the psychology of horror hasn't explored the Silent Hill series, I thought you'd be interested. Play, look up Silent Hill 1 through 3, with the pinnacle being Silent Hill 2. Perhaps consider an episode on horror gaming, active participation versus passive watching, uh, as in film and books as well. So, uh, I will say, yes, I have uh, played the first three Silent Hills. Yeah. And I can't remember if the room was Silent Hill 3 or the one that came after Silent Hill 3, but uh, yeah, I've seen, I've played those. And I have seen the Silent Hill movie, and uh, I actually own the soundtrack to Silent Hill 2. Uh, all the music for the entire franchise, games and films, uh, was composed by Akira Yamaoka. Uh, and it, it's indeed, it's great stuff, a, a mixture of uncanny music, uh, some just wonderful sort of industrial noise yeah. and occasional J-pop sensibilities. Silent Hill is one of those things we get asked about a lot. Like on Periscope, people have asked about it mm-hmm. multiple times, specifically about, um, you know, that Silent Hill game that Guillermo del Toro was working on? Oh. P- is it PT? Is that what Oh, it yeah, it's apparently not going to happen. But then it's no. not. Yeah, I don't think it's happening. Um, but they wanted to know what our thoughts were about it. I watched a like a gameplay, like mm-hmm. somebody playing through it, but I don't have... Uh, I think it's on, it was only available on PC or maybe PlayStation, hmm. so I, yeah. I wasn't able to play it. Yeah, well, I can't, I, I've always been told I should play Silent Hill. I've never played any of the oh, games. Oh, yeah? I mean, well, I love horror, but I, I, I was not uh, playing uh, that console generation when those games came out. Well, they've yeah. done uh, HD remakes of at least one and two, so I, I would say just skip right to two. Because mm-hmm. we have busy lives. We don't have time for Silent Hill 1. They're fun. Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2 is, yeah, it's fun, and... I loved that it it never really fleshed uh, my memory of it anyway is that it never really fleshed out exactly what was happening. It left yeah. in, in just cont- continual confusion and mystery about this place and the setting and the events that have transpired. And there's all sorts of just of just weird stuff in the background. To yeah, I'm not steeped and, enough in the lore. I don't know if they ever explain it fully. Oh. I think there was a second movie too, wasn't there? There was. I know Lauren has seen it. Oh, really? Yeah. Lauren Vogelbaum. We'll have to ask her about it. I know Kit Harrington, I think, was in it. Um, really? Yeah, I think he was. I might be mix, mixing him up. Maybe somebody out there is going, no, it wasn't <laughs> Jon Snow. You know nothing, Christian Saker. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got another one here that's coming out, uh, and it is covered in tiny little pink pills. Uh, it says, I just listened to your series on MDMA. One thing not mentioned that has been researched is MDMA for tinnitus treatment. People have recorded hmm. that their tinnitus goes away while using MDMA. Thank you for the podcast. I really enjoy the subject matter. I actually think tinnitus would be a great standalone episode topic. I have tinnitus myself. With all the research being done on causes and treatments, it's amazing how much is still unknown about the con- condition. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, that would be fun. I actually wrote a brain stuff episode about tinnitus. Um, you know, brain stuff is our general science kind of video series. So it's a real quick, like two or three minute explanation of how ring ear works is how we refer to it in that. But that's interesting. I have tinnitus. So I'm curious. I mean, I don't know. Oh, that I gonna, didn't know that. Huh. Yeah. It's from being in punk bands in uh-huh. my youth. Um, and not wearing proper protection. Mm. Yeah. I have, I have ringing ear. 
Pretty much all the time. Um, but it's one of those things where like I've lived with it for so long now that I can kind of tune it out in certain, but in certain situations it comes on really strong. Huh. Yeah. But wow, MDMA. I'll, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to look at I don't know that. if I'd want to be a guinea pig for that. I wouldn't want to pull a John C. Lilly and start testing on myself, but that's interesting. And tinnitus would be one that's interesting because they, she's right. They haven't really nailed it down yet. I think the yeah. thought, there, there's several different theories as to why it happens, but hmm. they haven't, they don't have anything definitive. Yeah. Now you know what you're doing this weekend. Yeah. Dropping some MDMA yeah. and, and listening very delicately. <laughs> Okay, we've got another, this is just a real short one from our listener Eric in England, but this is in reference to, uh, the, to our X-Files episode where Christian and I were talking about how it seems like they can never get the alien cloning invasion plan straight in the <laughs> X-Files. It's like they, uh, let, let's they, just go, like, they still can't. Yeah, like, okay. we're, we're, we're one episode away from the new series finishing and it's no better. Well, they, they keep giving different explanations of yeah. what's going on that seem like they just couldn't possibly all fit together somehow. Yeah. Uh, and so what Christian and I talked about was, well, maybe the, the deal is just that the aliens haven't made up their mind. This is actually yeah. the plot of the show is that the aliens are incredibly disorganized <laughs> and cannot get it together and agree on a plan. Well, it comes back to Invader Zim, which I believe we talked oh, about yeah, right. recently. We, we yeah. did talk about that. This, in, in this is exactly what Eric's comment is. So Eric writes in to say, hey guys, great show as usual. Just uh, check out Invader Zim for a great example of a disorganized invasion plan and plus just a fun watch. Cheers, Eric. So I, I've never yeah. seen Invader Zim, and I don't know what he's talking oh, about, but great. now I feel like I've got to check it out. Lori Vogelbaum to. has also recommended this to me. She told me to watch it, and it's uh, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. So I had to it maybe it view. was a Nickelodeon show, and it's just the whole the whole run of it a is just tremendous. Friend of mine works on the in- Invader Zim comic book, actually, oh, cool. too. Yeah, so I, I I should give it give it a chance. It's got kind of like a um, Johan Vasquez vibe. It is Johan Vasquez. Oh, it yeah, is. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah, it was his his deal. Yeah. All right, here's one more that uh, touches on our recent coverage of psychedelics. Uh, it's from Kristen. She says, "Big fan of the podcast. I'm particularly enjoying the coverage of the use of psychedelics for therapeutic purposes. It touches on a subject I'm very passionate about." Ayahuasca was my first psychedelic a little over a year ago. After my first time using it, I quit my job in the corporate oil industry immediately. Upon trying ayahuasca, my life has taken a completely different path, and I've spent the last year working with different teachers, psychedelics, to explore myself and my connection to others in the world. Not to mention I had a lot of fun doing so in the process. I started going to private meetings in Los Angeles in researchers' homes to discuss trip reports, share experiences, and collect data. I wish more people understood how psychedelics could impact our lives without it sounding like hippie nonsense. My mom is still convinced MDMA puts holes in your brain and that LSD is addictive. That's funny because right before we did the MDMA episode, Joe said to me, are you going to talk about the holes in the brain myth? <laughs> and I had never even heard of that, even mm. with doing the research. But I, did, I was we, taught this in school when I was growing up. Wow, really? MDMA puts holes in your brain. Yeah, I am pretty sure from all the research we did for that double parter, that's not true. Yeah, that is not true. Uh, and that LSD is addictive. Thank you for taking up airtime exploring these substances and the benefits they can provide people with. 
with. I hope my mom gives it a listen. Uh, and then she says, I went to a maps conference a while ago. We talked about maps, uh, in that episode. They're a group that, that works on the therapeutic applications mm-hmm. of it. Uh, and when she was there, she said they discussed a really interesting study they're doing. They're using MDMA on people with autism. It was fascinating. I recall Dr. Alicia Danforth telling a story about a patient that had issues making eye contact with people. After his MDMA therapy, he was standing in line at Walmart. The cashier asked him how he was doing, and he said for the first time ever in his life, he was able to make eye contact with her and respond with, Good, how are you? I can't recall all the details, but I'm pretty sure it was an older man who had been living with autism for a long time. Awesome work, Kristen. Well, yeah, uh, in... I'm glad that Kristen liked this, and a lot of people seem to respond positively to those two episodes, so much so that we're definitely talking about doing more on um, not just psychedelics, but other kind of drugs and uh, therapeutic applications. Yes, definitely. We definitely are going to hit some uh, some more um, drug topics in the uh, months ahead. Uh, Ayahuasca is on the top of my list, mm-hmm. personally. Not to take, but to, to cover for the show. I... Uh, the, the, my first introduction to ayahuasca, I mean, outside of reading William S. Burroughs talking about it as Yage, uh, was on Pete Holmes' You Made It Weird podcast. Oh, yeah? He, he talked with a, a guest about her whole experience doing the, the sort of thing where you go uh, and you, you, you pay money to like a tribe, I believe, in order to be able to take it, quote unquote, legally. Yeah. And my understanding is that it's it's. It's been a l- slightly commercialized in recent years, yeah. so you can actually yeah. like, book travel to a resort type uh, oh, okay. place to okay. uh, engage in these uh, uh, these experiences. Man, we're living in William S. Burroughs' world now. Yeah. Not only that, uh, he just came up in the in the Reich Orgone episode. He built himself an Orgone accumulator to write in. Huh. Um, I will mention mention as as well. Uh, there were a pair of older episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind uh, that I did with uh, Julie Douglas. Uh, title The Scientist and the Shaman, and that goes, uh, th- th- those episodes go into, uh, some of these issues as well, particularly the use of uh, psilocybin and ayahuasca. Cool. Well, while in the meantime, while we're, uh, putting those together, maybe Kristen and others who are interested in this can go back and listen to those. Yeah. Yeah. You just go to stuff to blow your mind.com and type in drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I think there are all those episodes and, and blog posts are, yeah. are, are tagged yeah, with the drugs. They should so. be. Yeah. We yeah. try, we try to tag them pretty well with our metadata. All right. Uh, this next one comes in from LinkedIn of all places. LinkedIn. Um, yeah. You're kidding. Yeah. I mean, is it's it about a headless chicken. No. Uh, but I, I had to share it because it's a nice, uh, nice little bit of listener mail, but it also, it came to me personally through LinkedIn. Which okay. Was like the one of two times that LinkedIn has been helpful. Yeah. I, I, LinkedIn <laughs> is the one social media network that makes me feel like an old man. Like I feel like I just totally don't understand yeah, how it works. What's going on here? Really? Yeah, it yeah. makes you feel like an old man. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like a little kid. Oh, really? It makes me feel like I, I'm on there with all these adults doing their adult things. And I'm like, <laughs> hey. I know I've been endorsing you for stuff all month. I think we all, I think all three of us are on there, right? Yeah. 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 Look. Yeah. So, hey, add us to your network. Yeah. If you want to hire us. <laughs> but uh, but Melanie wrote in on LinkedIn and said, "Thanks for accepting, even though we actually haven't done business together. Devouring your podcasts since Joe Rogan commented on it. Looking forward to listening and reading more. Thanks for the warning about polar bear livers. That was from mm-hmm. our um, Dangerous, Dangerous Foods, foods episodes. Yeah. Could have had that for lunch yesterday. <laughs> and she also uh, followed up with us on email and recommended that we we potentially do an episode on color and color blindness. Oh, yeah. We've gotten some good feedback about the Dangerous Foods episode. I've been emailing back and forth with one listener named Mary who has been contacting us about uh, her experiences in Iceland. First, she got in touch with us about the the 
pink snow, blue snow episode, the episode we did about all the weird snow, uh-huh. where she was talking about the, the colors of glaciers that she had mm. seen in Iceland and what was exactly the cause of them. And we found out that we had been to one of the same glacier lagoons, like she and her fiance at the time had been there when she was in Iceland and I had been there with my wife Rachel when we were there. And if you ever get a chance to see a glacier in real life, it's worth it because it is a very strange, uh, different kind of thing to see if you're not used to it. I still can't get over that you went to Iceland and you guys didn't go to the Blue Lagoon. Uh, well. of, of all the lagoons yeah. and, I- and glaciers, you didn't go to the weird uh the silica sex pond. <laughs> Another thing Mary mentioned is that she actually ate the shark from the Dangerous Foods episode. Oh, we yes, talked the about. Greenland shark. Yes, uh, she she ate it while she was there, chased it with some kind of unknown clear liquor, and that that's it. And so I gotta I gotta respect her power and honor. <laughs> well, to her point about us doing something about color blindness. Again, I think I'm brain stuff. I didn't write it. Maybe you did. Um, there's a colorblindness episode. In fact, we did it because our colleague Ben Bolin has a certain kind of colorblindness. Hmm. Uh, and so that's why we covered it. So maybe uh, if we did an episode on that topic, we could bring Ben in. He could be our guinea pig. Yeah, by all means. We could give him MDMA and ayahuasca and see how it affects colorblindness. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It looks like we have one last email here from Carney. All right, Carney, what have we got here? Ah, this is from our listener, Catherine, and it's in reference to our episode that Robert and I did uh, for New Year's about science and moral behavior. And Catherine writes, hey, guys, I started listening to your podcast after getting all caught on your brother and sister podcasts and am now slowly chipping away at yours. Yesterday, I was listening to your episode, Moral Behavior, and I got so excited. For my psychology undergraduate, I conducted a study on this exact topic. My thesis was titled Shame, Guilt, and Religiousness in Adolescent Sexual Offenders. And I can't resist an opportunity to talk about it, which is basically never, because people think it's super boring. Uh, I was looking for a link between religion and adolescent offenders and their feelings of shame and guilt, which are commonly closely tied to moral behavior. Because I was dealing with children and I was a lowly undergrad student, it was difficult to conduct my study and ended up with a total sample size of seven, which doesn't make my results very reliable. <laughs> uh, we, we admire your work anyway. That sounds like a larger sample size than Wilhelm Reich worked with. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> anyway, uh, Catherine continues. However, I did find that, at least among that sample size of seven, she says, how I did find that there was no connection between religion and the moral feelings of the participants, but was more connected to their own intrinsic feelings about themselves and their offenses. Anyway, if you ever can't sleep, I'll be more than happy to assist with a copy of the paper. Keep up the great work. Love listening to your podcast. It makes my monotonous day so much more enjoyable. Oh, well, that is too kind, Catherine. And thank you for sharing this with us. You know, on the subject of uh, content that puts one to sleep, um, we were talking about this uh, earlier. I don't know if we've mm-hmm. actually mentioned it on the podcast, no. but we had one listener write in. At least one. At least one. Yeah. Well, I, it, I've heard from other uh, How, How Stuff Works podcasts, they've heard similar things to this. Yeah, that, that people listen to the podcast while falling asleep. Yeah. But, but one individual in particular thought that the music should be tweaked. Our excellent music by our producer, Noel, uh, yeah. should be tweaked so as to allow them to gently move uh, into sl- into slumber at the end of the episode. Yeah, I'd love to hear from more of you if you fall asleep to to our episodes. I, mm-hmm. I, I never really thought that the cadence of our voices would be something that would uh, knock people out. No, I think that from now on, all of our episodes should each be an MP3 file that's about three hours long where we talk for the normal amount of time and then the rest of the file is just waves yeah. coming in. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> just <laughs> seagulls every now and then. Uh, in rain patterns. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that I took away from this last one that you read, and it seems like a, a common theme with what our letters throughout the entire episode today, is there's been a lot of cross-pollination between the shows here at How Stuff Works lately. It seems like a lot of people are listening to us and jumping to other shows or listening to other shows and jumping over to us. I hear that all the time. I hear from people who started with Stuff You Should Know and then moved on to Stuff You Missed in History Class and to us. Yeah, well, and, and if so I guess if there are people out there that are listening and they're unfamiliar, I guess, with the larger world of how, what we operate in, you know, uh, there's there's a lot more here at How Stuff Works. Uh, and the best way to kind of find out what all those other shows are is if you go to stuff to blow your mind.com, just scroll to the bottom of any page. They're all listed there, including Joe's other show, Forward Thinking. Yeah, I mean, they're all great shows and they're no stuff to blow your mind, but. No, I mean, <laughs> that, but, they're, but they're great. I can't imagine that, uh, on car stuff that they're going to talk about ayahuasca anytime soon. You know, I do want to mention car stuff has been putting some great stuff on Facebook recently. Yeah. Like, it's there, awesome. There have been a, at least a couple of different things that I've had to share to the stuff to blow your mind Facebook page because, uh, Scott Benjamin is great about bringing out these like really weird things from automotive history that yeah. even appeal to me, like the least uh, automotively inclined person in the office, probably. I'd say you and I could compete for being for being the lowest on the car guy scale. <laughs> yeah, and so if it appeals, if that stuff appeals to us, then if you're at all interested in yeah, automotive, I've guessed it on there. that show before. I, I'm not a car person really <laughs> at all, but those guys are a lot of fun to talk. What to. they have you on to talk about? Uh, we talked about. Um, uh, pony cars, you know, like, uh, that style of car that's somewhere between like a muscle car and like a sedan. Uh, so like a Ford Mustang or a Dodge Challenger, stuff like that. Cars in death proof? Yes, actually. Um, and it has a pony in it? Well, they're called pony cars because they're named after the Mustang. Oh, okay. So, and- so it's like not a Mustang, aka not a full grown horse. It is a pony. All right. Well, so, uh, that, that's a good segue for us to just remind people in general to visit stufftoblowyourmind.com, which is where you're going to find everything by the three of us. That's where, uh, we write things, we blog, there's videos by us, uh, or that we host and there, all the podcasts are there as well. Yeah. And there's even, uh, there are even links out to all the other House of Work shows as well. Mm-hmm. So that can be your first, uh, stop on a continuing, uh, House of Work's journey. And I just wanted to remind you out there again, if you've gotten in touch with us and we didn't have time to read your email today, I, I'm sorry that we couldn't get to it today, but please write in in the future. We, we love getting all, all of the feedback that we get from y'all and, and the wonderful things you contribute. And hopefully we'll be able to read it in a future listener mail episode. Yeah, we're open to emails about new episodes, old episodes, uh, whatever you have to share with us. Uh, So there are some other ways that you can get in touch with us, too, right? I mentioned them at the top. We do the social medias. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. You can write to us there or you can follow us there and see all the weird science stories that we post throughout the week. It's not just our own stuff. Uh, we also do Periscope every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. So if you want like a more uh, intimate setting to sit down and, and talk to us and ask us some questions, uh, we're usually around for about 20 or 30 minutes on those, those slots. And if you want to get in touch with us the old-fashioned way, simply shoot us an email at blow the mind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Thank you.